Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. You guys can go ahead and grab your seats there. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up uh, and turn with me. I just broke it. This is why I'm not on the praise team. I got it. I'm a quick learner. Learn from my mistakes. All right, Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're in a, we're in a series where we're walking through um, the book of Acts. And, and we specifically wanted to do this as a church um, because the book of Acts is literally just the acts of the early church. It's the, the events that were going on um, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And then essentially what he commissions the church, the people of God, to then begin doing within their community. And so we, um, as we are planting this church, um, actively planting this church, we, we wanted to be able to kind of go back to the grassroots here. Like what, what is going on in the first century? What is going on in which God is using to shape and mold a people in order not for them just to build some religious organization, um, but for them to build a lifestyle, for them to build a way of life um, in which they are not only for God, that's kind of ultimately what we want to be about is for Him, loving Him, glorifying Him, but in response to that also being for one another. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today is this idea of how God is for us in um, all of our history, looking at Old Testament history, looking at the history of the church um, in this day and age, and as well as looking at the church today for us, how God is moving towards us in order to bless us. And, and I'm not like a, a typical health, wealth, and prosperity preacher, and so don't hear me say that when I'm saying God's moving toward you to bless you. Um, but what he is doing is he is moving towards you to bless you. And those blessings have specific implications that happen to each one of us um, that do stir up our lives in order for us to be more for God and to be more for one another and to be less about ourselves, um, to focus less on, um, and, and not necessarily like, you're ignoring yourself like there are still degrees in which you must take care of yourself but it's it's moving more towards how can i love in such a way because of the experience that i've received from god loving me from god pursuing me and so this is where we're um, going to be acts chapter 3 verse 19 is where we're going to pick up um, it's kind of the last part that we covered last week in easter um, in the message there and so Acts chapter 3, verse 19 is where we're going to pick up. And you can read or just see it there along with me. It says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul 
who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the peoples who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Um, so I actually want to start at the back end of this, verses um, 4 and 3, before jumping into this message. Um, what happens at the end of this sermon? This is the second sermon that Peter gives to, um, to this kind of group of people who have begun gathering. Um, not only just the church that's gathering. Um, we see the church gather at Pentecost. There's about 120 people there. Um, this is about 50 days after Jesus' uh, resurrection. Um, Fifty days after his resurrection, as they gathered, the, the gospel was proclaimed um, from Peter. The Holy Spirit is fallen on the people, and we see about 3,000 people um, get added to the church that day, just in the gospel being proclaimed. And then from there, they kind of go, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Acts 2, 42 through 47. We spent a couple of weeks on that of just, okay, what is the, the church now doing? Now that Pentecost has happened, the Holy Spirit has come on the people, um, what are they doing? And what we saw them doing was devoting themselves. Um, and that devotion is like a deep devotion. It's very similar to your Netflix devotion. Like it's a, it's a perseverance. It is a, I am all into this. I will sacrifice other things in order to make time time for this. And so their devotion was all in to two things, to the apostles' teaching and also to the fellowship. Apostles' teaching was simply just doctrine. It was theology. It was words and ideas about God that the apostles were teaching that the Holy Spirit was bringing remembrance from all the things that Jesus taught them for the three years that they were there um, with him. And so that's the teaching that is happening is who is Jesus? What has he done? What has he taught? And how has that impacted us from both what was taught in the Old Testament and now what they are recording as the Holy Spirit is bringing them a remembrance of all that Jesus taught them in the three years. So they're devoting themselves to the Word of God, just knowing the Word of God, treasuring the Word of God, growing in the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. Um, that's why we, we are going to be big on that, and we're going to push that constantly. We're going to create opportunities for the Word of God to get in you. We're going to sing the Word of God. We're going to read the Word of God. We're going to preach the Word of God. We're going to study the Word of God in our groups. We're going to have classes this fall where we study a book of the Bible together that's more intensive about just growing your knowledge of the Word of God. We're, we're going to be very specific in that arena. The second thing that they were devoted to is um, what's called the fellowship. This is koinonia in the Greek, and it's a very scandalous term. And so if there's kids, cover their ears. But the, the, the term there in the Greek is literally an intercourse of relationships. It's an intercourse of relationships. It's, it's literally you diving into relationship with, with one another in which you fully know and are fully known by each other. 
And so this isn't just a, hey, I see you on Sundays. What's up? How's it going? Do you have a great week? Awesome. See you next Sunday. Like, I'm glad we go to church together. I'm glad we're devoted to one another. I'm glad we're doing life together. Like, no, no, no. If it's just Sunday, then you're missing out on the fellowship. The fellowship is, div- is diving into one another's lives and getting into the mess, getting into the joy, getting into the celebration, getting into um, the trials and the tribulations and being able to walk alongside one another in order to encourage and exhort and spur one another on, to be able to encourage and to provide love and to provide um, words of affirmation, to be able to, to walk alongside someone and to say, just as Jesus said to us, Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And don't worry, I'm also going to be with you always. So we got two things there. Jesus saying, go make disciples, but also teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's the apostles' teaching. That's the devotion there. But I'm also going to be with you always. That's the fellowship that we have with Christ. The fact that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The fact that at the end of Romans 8, he can say, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. And so the same thing with us as a body of Christ, as relationships, is there should be nothing that separates us from wanting to dive into life with one another. Now that takes some vulnerability, right? Because that takes us opening ourselves up to be able to allow people to see the mess, to be able to see the muck and the mire. Like, it's easy for us at times to want to jump into life with one another when we're celebrating, when there's joy, when there's things going well, when, when we're nailing it in our job, or when we've got relationships going on, when we're having babies, whatever it is, it's easy to invite people into that and to celebrate with us. But when we're walking through some dark times, when we're walking through maybe some depression, when we're walking through some areas where there's personal sins that we just can't conquer, we can't get through, we can't figure out how to overcome these things, Those are also times in which we must dive into relationships with one another because we were not meant to carry those burdens by ourselves. We were not meant to do that. And so the church was devoted to these two things. And then we have another response after this where, uh, and this is what we talked about last week, Peter uh, and John are walking into the temple. And as they're walking into the temple, they see this lame beggar and he's asking for alms. And they gaze at this guy and they look at him and they say, look, silver and gold we do not have. But what we do have is the love of Christ. What we do have is good news. What we do have is the gospel message. And we're going to provide that for you. We're going to share that message with you. And so they share the gospel with this guy. They heal him in the name of Jesus. And this guy who's been lame his entire life, not just like lame as in like not cool, lame as in not being able to walk, all right? Like he's crippled his entire life. He gets up and he starts leaping with joy. And he follows Peter and John in to the temple and he is praising God. He is jumping with joy. Would you not if you've been crippled your entire life and now can walk? I mean, you're going to be celebrating that moment. And as he goes in, because the entire community knows who this guy is, they've seen him at the gates his entire life begging for money, begging for resources, begging for anything to provide him some relief. He's now ultimately found eternal relief by finding Jesus and having Jesus come into his life. This guy causes such a commotion that the people of the town start gathering around to figure out what's going on. 
And when they start figuring out what's going on, Peter never misses an opportunity, looks at all these people and says, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to share this message with you. And this is the message that we just read. He begins preaching to them this idea that God is moving towards you in order to bless you. God is coming to you where you are in order to bless you. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up in order to be able to come and find the blessing. He's not waiting for you to to have the right amount of knowledge of Him from Scriptures. He's not waiting for you to have the right amount of Christian friends in order for you to be able to come into this place. No, rather, He's moving towards you where you're at in your skepticism, in your despair, in your depression, in your um, uh, faults and failures, in your uh, bad look at what church is on the inside, like in all your perceptions of life, God is moving towards you in order to ultimately provide a blessing for you. And this is what um, this passage is all about. And so that's the first thing I want to share with you, is that Jesus, the first blessing that he provides for us in this scene is that Jesus is the validation of God's truthfulness. Jesus is the validation of God's truthfulness. The coming of Jesus is a blessing because it proves that God keeps his word. This is why he goes through this kind of list. Peter just starts naming off this list of of Old Testament prophets who all were proclaiming these days. So he's going back 1,500 years. He's going back 500 years. He's going back years in order for the people around who they've been looking for a Messiah. They've been looking for someone to come and reconcile all things. Peter's now looking at them and saying, hey guys, um, God kept his word. God's been promising to our fathers. He's been promising to Abraham. He's been promising to Isaac. He's been promising to Jacob. He's been making these covenants with us all along. He's been telling us, I'm going to send someone who's going to come and fix everything. He's ultimately going to provide for you the sacrifice that you need in order for you to to come back into a relationship with me. I'm sending him to you. And what, what Peter is saying here is Jesus is the one who was sent. Jesus is the one who validates the fact that we can actually trust God for who he is and what he says. Jesus makes this an absolute point. And I think the, the, the funny thing with us is this point might not seem um, like a big enough point. Just that God keeps his word. Yeah, God keeps his word. But let's be real, real here. Like, How many of us really trust just other people in keeping their word in our day and age. And because of that, it's muddied the water on us thinking that God will ultimately keep his word, that God will actually be faithful, that God will do what he says he will do because we constantly interact with people who can't keep their word, who we can't ultimately trust that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. Because we're in a society of people. We're in a society of broken people. People who, who make failures all the time. I mean, this is literally like we, we even um, kind of market our community group on, on Tuesday nights knowing that people can't keep their word on just showing up on time. Like if we were to say 6.30 to 8.30, no one's getting there at 6.30. We know that. So what we say for our group on Tuesday nights is show up anytime after 6.00. 
And what that allows our people to be able to do is show up anytime after six and it builds character and integrity because they're showing up anytime after six and therefore they're on their time. And then once everyone gets there, we'll then dive into to, to enjoying life together and Bible study. But, but we just try to build character because we know people don't have it. <laughs> just kidding. That was terrible. Here's the way Paul put it in Romans 15, 8. Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That's the Jews. To show God's truthfulness and to confirm the promises given to the fathers. I mean, Paul just lays it out. He sent Jesus, the servant, to the Jews in order for the Jews to see that God's been faithful, that God is trustworthy. Now, that's a part of the blessing that he brings and he offers this morning. It's a blessing because where it is forsaken, moral and spiritual life just disintegrate. If God is not absolutely truthful in who he is and what he's designed, then our morality will run rampant. Because if we don't have a a moral standard, if we don't have a moral code, if we don't have a holy God who is absolutely truthful, then anything and everything we do or seek to become doesn't matter if we don't have an ultimate holy standard that we are becoming. That's why he says you are to conform to the image of Christ. And it's very important that Christ is without sin Because if Christ had sin, then why are we conforming to something that we already are? We're already sinful. So we need a perfect person, Jesus Christ, in order to conform to so that we will ultimately, and and I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but the point three that we'll eventually get to, so that he can turn us from our sinfulness and to bring us into his holiness, which is ultimately, and I've been preaching this since we launched the church, which is going to provide for you the greatest joy in your life. It's going to provide for you the greatest satisfaction. It's going to provide for you the greatest peace, relief, blessing. It's going to provide all of that for you when we are walking in holiness rather, rather than ultimately wickedness. The second thing in this passage that we see is that Jesus is, he, he's ultimately a second Moses. The coming of Jesus is a blessing because he comes as a prophet, prophet like Moses, a kind of second Moses. You see this in verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet from your brethren as he raised me up. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. Now, some people can look at that and be like, Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, Jesus is a, a second Moses. Moses is an awesome guy. Other people can look at that and be like, uh, I don't want a second Moses because Moses was a lawgiver. Moses came in bringing all kinds of new rules. Like it wasn't just the, the Ten Commandments on the rocks that he brought down from the mountain. Those were the start of it, but it then led to adding more commandments and commandments about commandments that ultimately ended up being 613 commandments and laws within the Old Testament that the Israelites, that the people of God were supposed to abide by and to follow and to walk in. And so what we're not saying is that we, we want a, another lawgiver. We don't want Jesus to come in as the second Moses and begin then telling us, um, oh, so now you need to do this and you don't need to do this. But is that not what he did in the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And yes, he actually does begin that with um, Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. 
which we're actually going to be walking through that this summer, June and July. Like we really want you to see what it means to be blessed. And so we're going to walk through those Beatitudes um, in June and July. I really want to call it hashtag blessed. Um, but Josh is like, no, we're not that, we're, we're not that kind of thing. And, and I'm like, well, Josh is out of town, so I guess we're going to do it. And so, um, so let's just go ahead and roll out the graphic, get the media going, all that good stuff. Um, when he's not here, I can do that. Um, but anyways, doesn't Jesus not come in and, and start offering more rules around the rules? He says, you, you've heard it said in the past, do not commit murder. Yeah, we've been taught that. That's the Old Testament. That was technically what your father sent. So I think you know we know that. But then he goes on to say, um, not only are you to commit murder, but you're not to look at someone with anger in your heart as if you've committed murder within your own heart. He says, you shall not commit adultery, right? Yeah, we know we're not supposed to commit adultery. Well, now I'm going to go ahead and internalize that. And you're not only to not commit adultery physically, but you're not to lust after someone within your own mind and heart. So let me internalize it again. And that's what the entire Sermon on the Mount is, is Jesus taking the 613 laws that were given to us in the Old Testament and flipping them up on themselves in order to see that this isn't just a physical thing that God's trying to conform us to, but this is an internal thing that God is trying to conform us to. He's trying not to just get us to have behavioral modification. I talk about mowing the yard oftentimes. And, and when you're mowing the grass, especially our yard, there's grass and weeds. And when you first mow it, within the first day or two, it looks great. But what tends to grow faster than the grass? Weeds. It doesn't look great anymore. That's what behavioral modification is. If I can just manage my behavior, if I can just manage my sin in such a way that I look good for a couple of days, then I will make it through life. And how daunting and exhausting is that? So like we don't want to preach behavioral modification because it doesn't work. It's literally just self-help over a couple of days where you might kind of have, I mean, it's literally just like taking a drug. It'll work for a little while. And then once it wears off, you find yourself worse than what you were. And so now you got to go have more. And, and it just, it, it's a constant spiral spinning that you, that you never ultimately end up getting to where you really want to be. And so Jesus comes into the scene and says, hey, look, behavioral modification is not going to work. We need to get into the root of the issue. We need to get to the heart. We need to get to the heart. So he is not only just a lawgiver, but he's a grace giver. He's a grace giver. And here's the thing too. Moses was a grace giver as well. Moses providing for the people laws in order for them to follow God's design was not heavy-handed. It was not do this or else. It was not begrudging submission, but rather it was meant in order to invoke life for them. It was supposed to protect them. It was supposed to have the people of Israel to be seen in such a way that the rest of the world were to look at them and say, what's different about you guys versus what we're doing? We'd rather do what you're doing, your policies, your law, your lifestyle. We want that because it seems as though you're flourishing more than what we are. Now, we know they perverted the law. We know that they abused the law. We know that they rebelled against the law, and that's why it went bad for them. But ultimately, the law was not meant in order to lead us astray, but rather to lead us to the fact that we need a Savior. 
It's gracious towards us. Take this illustration, for example. If, if we were in the Middle East, and in the Middle East you landed, and you're in a war zone, and there's a soldier there, and that soldier's job was he was sent to you in order to bring you across a minefield safely. And he knows exactly where every single one of the mines are in that field. Do you think you're going to be attentive to his law that he provides for you of follow me, trust me, walk this path. I know the way. I know the way that's going to lead to life. I am truthful and I'm going to provide for you the way that's going to lead you from here to there that's going to keep you alive. Do you think you're going to listen to him? Absolutely. Do you think him being a lawgiver is not also providing grace for you? Absolutely. Like it is. And so even if I'm walking through this and at any time I'm about to step on something and he yells at me, I'm okay with him yelling at me because he's protecting me from stepping on a mine. And then there's going to be other times where as I'm walking, I'm literally right in line with where he wants me to go and he's probably going to be encouraged. Hey man, you're doing great. Just keep following, keep trusting. You're doing great. You're, you're literally going right where I want you to go and that's providing life for you. It's not leading to your destruction. It's providing life for you. This is great. This is awesome. So there's going to be moments where he's loving and encouraging and there's going to be moments where he's strict and stern because he knows I'm about to step on a mine. This is exactly the way God works with us. Every single day, is he's, I've sent Jesus to you to be a blessing to you. I sent Jesus to provide for you a way. Jesus says, John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. So if he's the way, which means I want to then follow his way. If he's truth, then that means I know that his truth is going to be greater than anything this world has to offer me. And if he's life, I definitely don't want death. So I want life, so I'm going to make sure I trust and follow Christ in what he says and what he teaches, which is what ultimately the apostles were getting at. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that you've observed from me. So I want to get to the word of God to be able to see who Jesus is, what he's established, what he's designed for me in order for me to follow him, to trust him so that it would lead me to the right way, that it would lead me to the truth, and that it would also lead life for me, that it would provide that for me. Because there's the reality, guys. We, some lifestyles lead to destruction, right? I mean, I, I think that that's one that we can all just say amen to because we know that's That's our experience. I mean, I don't think there's anyone in this room, even if you're not a believer, who says, I've never made a bad decision. Or I've never made a decision that that didn't go wrong for me. And I, I make those decisions all the time still. And so where I find my hope is not in me having the right decisions that I'm coming up with, as I mentioned last week, for those that weren't here, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, and it's the path of destruction. So there's a way for us that we think is right that ultimately ends in landing on a mine and just wrecking our lives. And so what he's providing for us is a beacon, a person, Jesus Christ, in whom we can look at and whom we can run the race of life pursuing by faith in order for him to also move towards us and provide for us himself as a blessing. 
So that's the second thing, is that he's the second Moses who provides for us not only law, but grace in providing us the way, the truth, and the life. The third coming of Jesus is a blessing because he turns us from our wickedness. Verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you in turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, I know that sounds very churchy. That's kind of like the, your typical religious jargon, like turn from your wickedness. Best way that I can see it and explain it is, do you want life or death? Do you want life or death? Because there's decisions that we make every single day that are either destroying and tearing us down leading us into depression, leading us into despair, leading us into things that are destroying our lives, or there are decisions that can be made every single day that leads us into life, peace, joy, happiness, blessing, security, all of those things. And I'm not talking circumstances. I'm not saying choosing the right decisions on a daily basis is going to increase your bank account, is going to increase your health, is going to increase your overall well-being. I'm not saying that those things are going to happen. Because when you look at a lot of the apostles, it did not happen for them. You look at John the Baptist. Luke chapter 2, Jesus says of John the Baptist, who's a distant cousin of his, Jesus says there's no man greater born of woman than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is the greatest man who's ever lived. Jesus said it and Jesus never lies. John the Baptist finds himself at the end of it, and and this is again, John the Baptist who in the womb leaped for joy when Mary walked into Elizabeth's household and Mary was pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth is pregnant with John. When Mary walks in, John the Baptist in the womb leaps for joy because it says he was filled with the Spirit. So out of the gate, this John the Baptist is filled with the Spirit of God and has one purpose in life, and that's to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Basically, his thing is telling the people, don't miss Jesus. We've got all the prophets of the Old Testament who have been proclaiming, proclaiming, proclaiming this Lord is going to come, this appointed Christ is going to come, this Messiah is going to come to save all the people. And John shows up on the, she- on the scene and says, don't miss him. Don't miss him. John preaches that message his entire life. And John finds himself at one point in his life in prison because of preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ, when he finds himself in prison, John the Baptist, just like all of us when circumstances are going bad, begins to doubt God, begins to doubt Christ, and he knows him. It's his cousin. But he begins that he says, hey, and he calls some of his disciples to the prison, and he says, hey, can you, can you go find Jesus, and can you ask him if he's the one, or should we look for someone else? And I can kind of translate that because for me, this is going bad. I didn't think following Jesus was going to end up in prison. Like I I was going to try to write a couple of books. I was going to retire and get a boat and go to the lake. Like, Like I did not see it going this way for me in devoting my whole life to this guy. 
And so John the Baptist has some doubt and he's wondering what's going on. So he sends his disciples to Jesus. Jesus then responds to those disciples, giving them a a benediction from a passage in Isaiah where he says, the lame will be ministered to, the poor will be granted life, and the sick will be healed. But he leaves off the last part of the benediction, which says the prisoners will go free. Kind of sounds like a slap in the face to John the Baptist. Hey, let me, let me share a verse with you that you probably know pretty well because you're the greatest man who's ever lived, but I left the verse off that actually goes well for you, which would be the prisoners go free. And instead of you actually going free, what's going to happen is you're going to be beheaded because of a little stripper girl. Well, I didn't see it going that way for me. And then John's response is, I must decrease, he must increase. And that's the best place John could have ever landed in life. Is that he would be turned from his wickedness and find the way, the truth, and the life, which is ultimately Jesus. And that in that place, he would be able to say, Make me more like you by decreasing my my sinfulness and increasing your holiness within me. Jesus, let me decrease so that you would increase. Humility provides in the last days for John the greatest amount of exaltation that he's ever going to experience. Because as Jesus says, the economy of heaven works the least of these become the greatest in heaven. And we're going to be seeing that in the economy of the Beatitudes and what it truly means to be blessed in June and July of not this idea of just gain from a worldly perspective, but this idea of gain of Christ within our heart and within our mind and within our soul and within our relationships, and within our, our, our understanding and our knowledge and our growth, all of that being poured out on us every single day. Guys, the three things that, that we see here in this passage, the three things that, again, Peter is preaching on blessing being received from Jesus being sent as he's getting handcuffed and arrested off of the stage. Like, I don't have that fear of anyone coming in and handcuffing me and dragging me out of here, kicking and screaming. To which the funny thing is, is, is as that happens, 5,000 people get added to the church on this day. 5,000, it says 5,000 men. So it could actually be not counting women and children who receive the gospel on this day. So upwards of ten to 12,000 potentially receive the gospel on this day as Peter is giving the invitation to come and receive Jesus, to move towards Jesus in faith, he's getting handcuffed and taken to prison. I mean, again, kind of going back to like the seeker-sensitive type of movement, like who's going to want to come down front when you're seeing the dude get, get handcuffed and taken off stage? Yeah, I want some of that. That's exactly what I'm signing up for. I want to be thrown in prison. I want to be tortured. I want those things. But that was the response of the people, not because they were looking for circumstances to improve, but rather because they were looking at the state of their heart to improve. 
the state of their overall life to improve by finding Christ and Christ alone. Man, that's the message of this. That's the blessing that is coming to us. Jesus came to prove God's truthfulness. It's a precious gift. I urge that you receive his truthfulness. Believe that God keeps his promises and that he can be trusted. Second, Jesus came as a prophet like Moses. He reveals the truth of God and the God of truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's a reliable God through the minefield of sin, and he will lead you to the promised land. He will lead you ultimately to life. And finally, Jesus came to turn us from our wickedness. He does not merely point, but he empowers us to turn us from our wickedness. He's not watching us struggle. He's with us in the struggle. Like every single time you feel the temptation, you feel the weight of sin coming on you. Jesus isn't from the outside looking in saying, hey, figure it out. Good luck. I hope you get that goal today. I hope it works out for you. No, when it's, when it's coming on us, Jesus within us is reminding us in Galatians 2.20 that I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? That means what we celebrated last week is the fact that when Jesus went to the cross, my sins went to the cross with him, and the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin were all placed on Christ and were once and for all paid for. And he conquered it. He conquered sin, death, and evil so that when he rose, he is able to give us resurrection in the moments in which we're encountering sin, when we're encountering temptation, when we're encountering that desire to want to go down that path, he's able to provide for us. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live in my sin, but I now live in Christ. I live in faith in him who's able to grant me repentance, who's able to grant me the ability to be able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Man, before the cross, we didn't have that opportunity to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. But because of the cross and because of the resurrection, because of Jesus having power over it, the Christ who lives in me now grants me as I'm conforming to his image, he grants me the ability, he grants me, he graces me with his strength to be able to fight, to be able to make war on my own flesh, as well as the flesh of just this world around me that tempts, to be able to say no to it and to say yes to him. Because if I were to say yes to it, it's a mind that's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to the destruction of my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with you as our church, my relationship with our friends in this community. When I step on the minefields of my own sin, it damages all of the relationships that I'm connected to. It breaks the fellowship of the koinonia that we have in relationships with one another. But when I say yes to Jesus in those moments, it begins strengthening those things. And I'm now able to live out the fruit of the Spirit in those relationships in which now you will see produced in each one of us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control.
this is what happened. And so my prayer for us today is that you see that God is moving toward you by sending his son Jesus. And I ask that we would respond by moving towards him in faith to allow Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this sermon that Peter preached. We thank you that this sermon that he preached was in response to a man who was crippled for his entire life, who was brought to the family of God, who was brought to you, and you healed him. Where you healed him physically, you also healed him spiritually. And God, I'm praying for the same thing for us in this room today is that as we see that you are moving towards us in order to bless us, God, would we also respond not just with physical healing, but also with emotional and spiritual healing within our lives that we would be able to receive just the gospel truth of what you are doing in each one of us. And that by faith we would, we would grow one degree of glory today. That we would mature one more degree to become more and more like your son Jesus. That when we leave from this place and we see the fact that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that that would provide for us just a little bit more patience, a little bit more love, a little bit more gentleness and self-control that your Holy Spirit would build those things within us so that as we fellowship with one another, as we dive into relationships with each other, that we would be experiencing the grace of God by having a relationship with you and with each other. in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info@thedistrict.church. At